Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. Leprosy that is spoken of here in the scripture is like unto uncleanness that comes upon you if you have tried to put leprosy on someone else. If you tried to make them unclean, you've tried to make them to where that they would be cast off and to be ostracized and hated and spurned and insulted. That kind of leprosy that you put upon another person can show up on you. And it can show up in a whole variety of ways and symptoms. But if you try to make another unclean, you yourself will be made unclean. If you try to put leprosy on someone, you yourself will get it. It's a real spiritual disease. It still occurs, not necessarily with so much physical manifestation, but it certainly occurs emotionally and spiritually, uh, you know, still in our midst today. This particular portion, though, now speaks to the cleansing of such things. Let me read for you this uh, rather interesting procedure that is given to the priests on how they are to cleanse a leper in the day of his cleansing, beginning at verse 1. Follow along with me. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live, clean birds, and clear wood and a scarlet string, and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop, and shall dip them in the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy, and shall pronounce him clean, and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair, bathe in water, and be clean. Now afterward, he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. And it will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all of his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard, his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now on the eighth day... He is to take two male lambs without defect, and a yearling ewe lamb without defect, and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and one log of oil. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed, and the aforesaid before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take the one male lamb and bring it for a guilt offering with a log of oil, and present them as a wave offering before the Lord. Next, he shall slaughter the male lamb in the place where they slaughter the, the sin offering and the burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering. Like the sin offering belongs to the priest, it is most holy. The priest shall then take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest also shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into his left palm. The priest shall dip his right hand finger into the oil that it is in his left palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times before the Lord. And of the remaining oil which is in his palm, the priest shall put some on his right earlobe, 
and one of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot and on the blood of the guilt offering. While the rest of the oil that is in the priest's palm he shall put on the head of the one that is to be cleansed, so that the priest may make atonement on his behalf before the Lord. The priest shall next offer the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Then afterward he shall slaughter the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer up the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be clean. You know what's so interesting about this procedure? It almost matches the procedure for the atoning and the preparing of the high priest of Israel. Isn't that interesting? That the elaborate procedure for the cleansing of a leper the only one that even comes close to this procedure is the procedure that is done upon the high priest of all of Israel. You know, the priests got together and they said, why did Moses give us this instruction? Seems to me, uh, you know, a plain old sin offering would have covered this, wouldn't it? You know, maybe, maybe I can understand cutting off the hair. Maybe I can understand staying outside of the camp for a little bit until we get it all checked out. Maybe I can understand the priest having to go out and confirm it. But what's this procedure? This huge, elaborate procedure. Multiple offerings, anointings with oil, anointed with the covering of the blood. The blood is only to be put on the altar, but here, on the earlobe, on the thumb, and on the, on the toe. Why such a demonstration of the covering of the blood? Why such a demonstration? They asked this question. They got together. They counseled. They prayed. They considered with the, the instruction of Moses. You know what they concluded? It is a sign of the Messiah. You see, we know that leprosy doesn't get cured very often. It's kind of an incurable disease. If somebody shows up by messenger here at the temple and calls for a priest to go outside of the camp because there's some leper who claims to be cleansed to go through this procedure, we better hustle down there and meet this guy because he probably, the only person who could cleanse him is the Messiah. And this guy may be a witness as to who the Messiah is. So whenever this procedure gets done, we will pay very close attention to it because it will be assigned to us. Interestingly enough, when Yeshua was going about in his days doing miracles, he cleansed a bunch of lepers. You know what he said to them after he cleansed them? Go, present yourselves to the priest to be a testimony to them. This was God's prescribed plan on how even the priest would hear the message that the Messiah had come. It was going to be based on the cleansing of a leper. You see, because the leprosy represents all of those things. The leper represents all of those things that no person in their right mind would want these things. You know, a leper is a walking dead person. He's dead. He, he, he's cut off. He's cut off from the living. He's cut off from the end of the camp. He can never go into the temple. He can never go in and worship the Lord in the presence of the Lord. He's cut completely off. He's like the living, walking dead. He cannot come into contact with anyone, and any time he's in the public air arena, he has to cover his mouth and he has to announce, unclean, unclean. 
I mean, there is no lower existence in terms of affecting your disposition toward life. You have no more life. So when a leper gets cleansed, it's equivalent to the resurrection. The only, the only difference was the guy wasn't laying down dead. He was just walking around. It's like a resurrection of life, like new life that has come forth. All life had been cut off. Now life was restored. Family restored, presence restored in the camp. It's like you come back from the dead. So they knew that it would be such a powerful sign, this cleansing of the left. It's one of the prophecies that had to do with the Messiah. They expected this. When this Messiah shows up, he will be able to cleanse a leper. We will see this event, they said. We will see men coming and presenting themselves to the priests and going through this elaborate procedure. In the temple, we will see this procedure being done. There were many signs, many prophecies to be fulfilled when the Messiah came, but this was one of the ones that was one of the strongest ones that was concerning the temple service. This elaborate procedure. I think the reason why that uh, Moses gave such instruction of such a procedure that would be likened to the procedure for the anointing of the high priest is because this would be the true work of the great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of the Levites or of Aaron. That this would be the great work of cleansing of the lepers by a different priesthood. And that this priesthood of the Levites would simply be receiving the testimony of the great work of the great high priest the one that comes down from heaven. Now, we have many examples that are given to us in the New Testament of where and, uh, lepers were cleansed. I, I'm reminded of the one where he cleansed ten. Ten lepers, bing, all at the same time. Man, you talk about rejoicing. These guys took off, you know, headed off for the temple. One turned around and hustled back and said, thank you. And the Lord Interestingly, and if he said, he looked at the disciples and he said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me see if I ask a question here. Wasn't there ten? How, why is it only one return to say thank you? And I think that that's, uh, that, that, that kind of speaks to us. Even though God, <laughs> even though God passes us over and raises us from the dead, only one out of ten remembers to say thank you. To the Lord. The fact of the matter is, every one of us have been given the same gift of life to avoid death, to avoid eternal death. How many of us remember to return to the Lord and say, oh, by the way, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you for covering my willful sin worthy of death. Thank you for making the sacrifice for me. I, if, if the numbers are right, maybe one out of ten. And the Lord kind of asked, well, where are the others? I wonder where the others are. Boy, I, I would hope that in my walk before the Lord, that the Lord wouldn't be asking questions about, well, you know, where was that money guy at? You know, what, I thought he, I thought he, I thought I helped him too. Where, where, where is he at? It's uh, become part of, of uh, my, in my own personal conviction. I, um, with the last name Judah, which means praise, 
one time I was asking the Lord, I, I said, you know, Lord, I said, it seems like in my life, and I'll share some kind of personal spiritual stuff with you. It seems like in my life that I don't really praise you a lot. I mean, yeah, yeah, I praise you and I sing songs and I say, and I, and I, but you see, Lord, it seems like the thing that just you just pour out upon me is to say thank you. I don't know what it is, but it seems like every prayer, when I start praying, I want to have a deep prayer time with the Lord, I start off with thank yous, and I go, thank you, thank you, thank you, and I start, and I can't stop. I, I, that's the only thing I pray for. I, I can't get to the other things because I can't, I keep thinking of more things to be thankful for. You know, I found out that there was a reason for that, is because the name Judah also means thankfulness. <laughs> So I, I've always told you that you're all living out the meaning of your name. Hopefully one day I'll praise the Lord in the millennial kingdom, but right now I'm just trying to be thankful for it. And I think that in part of this is to teach us also, you know, the fact is you ought to be thankful you're not lepers. There but by the mercy of God walk you. You know, I, and, and other diseases and other ailments, other injuries, there, but by the mercy of God, go I. You know, so God's blessings on us are pretty good. You know, it says his mercies are new every morning for us. You know, we get up every day and he cranks them out new for us every day. I have uh, a little side story on that. I saw an older gentleman who was, uh, he was a pretty faithful guy. He, he had been walking with the Lord a lot of years and and he was getting up toward retirement age, and he put a little different spin on that phrase for me. He, it was this big, great, big motorhome that drove by, huge motorhome thing, and it was dragging a small Cadillac. You know, they drag those little small cars behind us. Well, he had a small Cadillac pulling behind this great big six or $700,000 motorhome coach thing. And I remember his expression. He looked, he pointed, and he said, there go I, but by the mercy of God. <laughs> and he had a different perspective that that guy probably was not happy and probably didn't know the Lord and he was trying to make himself happy but boy was he in trouble he probably didn't know how to be happy because based on the items that he had selected he sure was trying to be happy there go I but by the mercy of God and much better to be content with what you have than to try to strive for those kinds of things. The, uh, the rest of this chapter, chapter 14, uh, beginning at verse 33 and through 57, has some very interesting instructions in the Torah. It talks about bodily fluids, things that can make us unclean. And it goes through a series of things both for men and for women and it gives this instruction concerning these bodily fluids. Kind of, kind of interesting stuff. And when you read through it, if you read through it in a casual way, and uh, you have any kind of theological training in the New Testament, it will convince you that surely the law has to be done away with by now. I mean, who would want to have this stuff? I mean, the, the way you read it, if you really sit down and contemplate it, you start thinking, hey, you know, on a pretty regular basis, I'm unclean. On a pretty regular basis. Systematically, husband and wife. And you go, well, I'm not sure how... I like the idea of the Bible defining me as unclean. 
You know, the Bible defines a lot of things unclean. Now, whether we like to believe it or not, the fact is, is that the Bible talks about unclean animals, certain behaviors that are unclean, certain garments and houses that are unclean, certain persons that are unclean. We just talked about the leper. He's unclean. Dead people are called unclean. You touch a dead person, you're unclean, the Bible says. Um, there's even unclean, get this, spirits. There's a lot of things that are unclean. You know what the Bible says, though, about every one of them? It doesn't devalue you. In other words, if you're, if you're walking around according to these rules and, and it says that you're unclean, it doesn't mean that you're any less of a person. It means that it's a signal to you, you cannot walk into the temple under the presence of God because you'll probably die. You can't be in the presence of God like that. Because if you attempt to defile the presence of God with that, you'll probably die. You want to know why God ain't walking around with us right now? We're unclean. If Daniel, the prophet, was in our midst today, you know what his prayer would be? The same prayer he prayed back there in Daniel. When Israel was in Babylon, oh God, we are an unclean people living in the midst of an unclean land. Oh God, have mercy on us. You know what? It's real difficult for a guy standing in a mud puddle to try to get clean. It's real difficult, you know? You ever heard that story about don't ever take a pig to a banquet? You ever heard that? Don't ever take a pig to a banquet. You'll uh, ruin a perfectly good tuxedo and you will annoy the pig. There's a, there's a quandary. You can never make a pig a clean animal. You can never make an evil spirit a good spirit. You can never do it. It just doesn't work. Demons are never going to be good angels. They just aren't. These are facts. These are rules of the life and the world that we live in. These rules about what is clean and unclean, they are rules that have to do with the presence of God. They're not rules that are made to make you be put down. They're not laws to say, okay, all you Gentiles, you're unclean. They're not made for that purpose. They're made to show you what needs to be done so that you can be made clean. That before you attempt to go into the presence of the Lord, you need to be made clean. Because the Lord is clean and holy. Now in the previous weeks I told you, there's, there's holy and clean are synonymous in the Bible. Unholy and unclean mean the same thing. We're an unholy people. We're unholy. In our present state, we cannot go into the presence of God. It'd be our death. Holiness can, unholiness cannot exist in the presence of holiness. You cannot stand and see the face of God. There's a very simple reason for it. You'd die. You can't do it. Where do we get these rules that teach us this? That there's a difference between holy and profane right here. He's trying to explain who he is, who we are what we need. We need to be made clean. That's basically what the Lord was doing. 
when he came. In this particular passage there in chapter uh, 14, let me, let me read to you very briefly one of the specifics that has to do with it. It begins at verse... Um, uh, let me flip my notes over. Chapter 15 begins at verse 25. Let me read that to you. Now, if a woman has a discharge of her blood many days, not at the period of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond that period, all the days of her impure discharge, she shall continue as though in her menstrual impurity. She is unclean. Any bed on which she lies all the days of her discharge shall be like to her like a bed of menstruation, and everything on which she sits, sits shall be unclean, like her uncleanness at that time. Likewise, whoever touches them shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until the evening. When she becomes clean from her discharge, she shall count off for herself seven days, and afterwards she shall be clean. Then on the eighth day she shall take for herself two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them into the priest to the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. So the priest shall make atonement on her behalf before the Lord because of her impure discharge. Now, first of all, let me... Let me tell you the whole punchline of this whole lesson so that you don't get confused. I don't want any of you guys walking around and saying, well, you know, Monty sure talked about some hard things tonight, and I guess I'm unclean. That's not the conclusion of what I'm trying to talk about. What I am trying to lead you to is verse 31. Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Don't expect to walk into the presence of the Lord in an unclean state and survive. Don't, don't, don't try to do it. It'll probably cost you your life. Now, these are the rules. So that when you do come into the presence of the Lord, you know you're on holy ground. That everything you touch is as holy. Everything that there is about the presence of God is holy, even you. You know, the fact of the matter is, religious men are always looking for, how do I become holy? You know, there's a real simple answer to this one. God makes you holy. God makes you holy by his presence. The Gentiles, when they first received the Holy Spirit, there was a vision given to Peter so that he would learn that God has the power to even make Gentiles clean. He could give you the Holy Spirit and you're clean inside out. And in fact, what we're taught in this commandments for the priests and for the sons of Israel, because these are commandments for the priests and the sons of Israel. These weren't commandments for the, for the Gentiles. The Gentiles didn't go toddling up into the tabernacle up by the altar and so forth. It was priests and sons of Israel who did it. And they were told, you will not walk in here and be unclean. So these are commandments for Jews who would walk into the and render this service, especially for priests. It was the, it was the requirements for them. What's the, what's, what's the deal that makes the Gentiles clean? The presence of the Holy Spirit. God makes a tabernacle inside your heart. So the issue is not about clean and unclean with you guys. The issue here was the commandments for the priests, those who would do the priestly service. They were the ones who were charged with the responsibility to give counsel to all of Israel as to what was holy and unholy, what was clean and unclean. And you can't do that being unclean. 
You can't pass judgment on someone that this is holy or unholy and be in the unholy state. You can't do it. So they had to make sure that certain things were done correctly and properly so that they could do it. I don't know if you know this, but there was no leather worn by a priest. And it's going to be a really interesting quandary for when the altar goes up on the Temple Mount, they're already handing out, they're already sending out the instructions throughout the entire Jewish community. There's special postings that have been put up and instructions and writings that you can't wear your leather belt, you can't wear your leather shoes. You know, no leather, no animal skin on you. You must go up there barefoot or in cloth, just plain cloth, you know, to go up before the Lord. And these are the commandments. This is the basis of the commandments uh, concerning it here. The, uh, all of this instruction, uh, and in particular this instruction about this woman, is, brings us to a couple of, of uh, center events that happen in the New Testament, one of which I've already mentioned. The second one is uh, mentioned for us over in Mark chapter 5, and I want to take your, uh, have you take note of that. In Mark chapter 5, uh, the Lord is actually in the process of getting ready to do something else when suddenly, and in verse 25 it says this, And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but had rather grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, came up and in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I touch his garments, I shall get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately Yeshua, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garment? And his disciples said to him, You see the multitude pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Very interesting story. Very touching. This lady had had this medical problem for 12 years. You could put this in the category of chronic. This was happening. For 12 years, according to the definition, she was unclean. For 12 years, she could not go to the temple. Now, she could pretty much keep it hidden from everybody else and go about her business and try to do the best she can. It probably made her a little bit weak. She probably had to eat and care for herself. She probably had to... She'd gone to the doctor's. They couldn't. They had tried all kinds of things, couldn't help her. Chronic problem. And the reason why it was such a burden to her was she, she really wanted to go in and worship the Lord. The only thing it kept her from doing was going into the temple. She could do virtually every other thing that she could do within her physical power, but go to the temple she could not do, according to these commandments. But she wanted to. That's the reason why she'd spent everything she had to try to get healed, try to get this stopped. That's all she wanted to do was be in the presence of the Lord, to go in and worship the Lord in that place that had been designated where his name was at. Desired it greatly. 
And she heard about, heard about Jesus, Yeshua. Heard people were getting healed. Heard lepers were being cleansed. Maybe, maybe, maybe if he can cleanse a leper and make a leper clean, maybe he could make me clean. That's what really is meant there when maybe I'll be healed. Maybe I'll be made well. You go back into the original Hebrew, it's what she's really saying is maybe I'll be clean. Just like the Levitical commandment. Maybe I'll be called clean and I can go in too. And that's what she wanted. She wanted to be clean. She wanted to have that over. And so she reached out and she grabbed his garment. I brought my tallit with me tonight. Uh, how many of you, uh, you know, I know you've seen a tallit before, but how many of you know what the tallit means? What the teaching of the tallit is? Hands up. How many of you know what the teaching is? Okay, good. We have a whole bunch of people here. You need to learn some instruction. I remember I told you there were some unclean garments. This is called a clean garment. This is a clean garment. The rules of instruction for a tallit are that you never take this garment into an unclean or dishonorable room. You never take it to the lavatory. It is never permitted to be taken in there. It is always to be covered in the bag so that it can never be soiled or spoiled uh, and so forth. So when it came, comes out, why it's ready for use. It's folded in a particular way. Um, it's folded so that the tzitzits, the tassels, come down over the top with the crown. There's a crown in the tallit so it appears and so it's folded so that when you pull it out, the first thing you see is the tassels and you see the crown. And it's a reminder that the garment doesn't belong to you. It is said that the tallit belongs to the Messiah and that he gives it as a gift to each man. You don't pass these along as inheritance to your sons. Each man gets his own from the Messiah. It's a burial garment. This is the garment that I'm supposed to take back. And when the Lord talks about that they'll receive white garments in the heavenlies in the presence of the Lord, you get your new tallit. You get your tallit. You get your covering. Um, it has uh, stripes in it. There are uh, usually gold or silver that's laced in and then blue or sometimes black. If you see a tallit that has black stripes, it is a man who is said to be born before the state of Israel, 1948. If it's blue, he was born after the state of Israel was made. So it matches the flag of Israel. In fact, the flag of Israel is modeled after the tallit. It's the symbol, the covering of God over the nation. And this is God's covering. It symbolizes the covering over a man. Now, they call it a, a prayer shawl or a prayer tent. When you go into... A, when you don this, you can go privately in under it, and you can pray to the Lord. You're completely separate from everyone else. And it's a wonderful thing. There's a, the tallit has four corners, and at each corner is a tassel. And then there's the crown up here, which usually has either the blessing. This is called a Zion tallit, because it has in the Hebrew the inscription where it says, For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah which is the great messianic prophecy that there's a day coming when the Messiah will come back and he'll be the Torah teacher. And all of us will go on Shabbat and we'll be taught Torah by the Messiah instead of uh, one of the other local guys. The, uh, the, uh, it's to be a basic white garment. 
because it represents cleanliness and clean. That it's, that's how God makes you clean. He covers you with himself. It is said that when a man dons a talit, at the moment that he puts it on before the living God, he's blameless. The reason why it's said is because it is the commandment to don the talit. And at the moment that you obey that one commandment, you're obeying commandments, you're not disobeying commandments. Therefore, you're blameless before God. At the moment you're having the talit on, and that's the, the in the Old Testament, anytime you see the inscription where it says blameless, they shall be blameless, it means you're found obeying the Lord. Now, it's only one, one commandment, one of the 613, but at the moment that you obey, you're considered to be blameless before the Lord. If you're obeying the Lord and complete, completing one commandment, you're obeying the Lord. Now, maybe you didn't get around to the others, but, but this one you're counted as blameless, you know, when you do it. The stripes, we were told to put threads of blue uh, in it. The Lord gave instruction that said, you'll put the thread of blue in it so that when you put it on, that on this side of the line shall be holy. On that side of the line shall be the world, unholy. So why so many stripes? You see, because we keep crossing the line and God keeps drawing the line in front of us to make us holy. It's the picture of his mercy. How many times is he willing to forgive? Over and over and over again. He draws the line in front of you and makes you holy from it. It has the silver, the gold, embraided into it. It's a royal garment. It belongs to the king, Messiah. It's a kingly garment. It's a royal garment. It's a royal priesthood. Servants of the king of the king's court, of the king's servant and staff. We have a new banner here uh, that we have made up for our group. Jerusalem, city of the king. You know, he's the king. He's not only king of Jerusalem, king of Israel, he's the king of the whole world, king of the whole universe. You can't go to a planet or a sun or a solar system or a galaxy in this universe and not find him to be the king. I don't know if you realize just how big he really is. You know, in these little... These folks down here on this third rock from the sun in this solar system who think he's not king. You know, he's king of it all. And this garment is to symbolize, you know, his to the four corners. He just keeps going all the way to the four corners. His covering covers it up. The, um, there's other teachings and traditions that are associated with it, but one of the things in particular is that the edge of the garment is to have fringe. It's to have these tassels, the scissors. The teaching of this comes from the book of Numbers, and we'll see it here in a few months. Um, there's eight, eight strands of string, and there are five knots that are made. They're special knot. There's one particular string, a blue one, which is used to do all the work of the service of making the tassel. It's not multiple strings that does the work of the tassel. One particular blue string does the work and makes the tassel. He is called the shamash, or the servant string, and he is the Messiah himself. It is the Messiah who binds us together and makes the knot and cinches us up. It's, that's even his work. Um, we are told that when we see the tassels, that we are to remember the commandment of the Lord, that we should obey the Lord. 
and not follow after our eyes, which go whoring after idols. That we should hear the instruction of the Lord and obey the instruction of the Lord. It's just real clear and real specific. And when the talit is donned and put on, you're to reach down and you're to cinch that knot, that last one. Cinch it. Remember to obey the Lord. And not just after appearances, but to remember all of the instruction that is given. The, uh, this, was, this was the garment that Yeshua was wearing. A clean garment. And she said, if I can just reach out and just get the fringe of this garment, just this part, if I can just get a piece of this, I'll be made clean. And you know what? She was right. She was. This garment has the power to make you clean. Now, it's not the wool. This is, this is just some, some threads. It's, it's what this means that makes it clean. It's the Spirit of God that makes it clean. Because when your heart is yielded to don it, to obey the Lord, then the Lord, it works through you and makes you clean. But we choose not to be clean. We actually make a choice. We do the things that the Bible says not to do. We ignore the commandments. We don't, we don't pay attention. Thank God for us that God is merciful and he remembers what we are. He remembers we're just started with dirt. But that doesn't negate if a man wants to be in the presence of God. If a person wants to be closer to the Lord, you've got to get these basic principles down. You don't come to the table filthy. And we teach it to our children. You want supper in my house, you don't come with dirty hands to my table. I don't care if you are an honored guest. We will stop the meal and explain there's a place there for you to wash your hands. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how disrespectful it means. There's a, there are a couple of basic rules. <laughs> you know, it's offensive, you know, to do that. And the same thing is true of the Lord. In his house, there's some rules. Just take my counsel on this. Don't, don't offend him. Just go along with the flow. You know, it's his idea, and, and, and it works better to be clean before him, before you try to come into his presence. I did an extensive study about all the miracles of the Lord where he healed people. People with different diseases and problems. and Some he said to them, be clean, and they were healed. But there's a whole bunch of them, and this caused a great controversy. He used to do this in front of the religious leadership. He used to say, your sins are forgiven. And the guy would be healed. He would say, your sins are forgiven, and the guy would get up off his bed. And the, and the Pharisees are going, what? Who does this guy think he is? He has the power to forgive sins? And he, what he was making the equation, the spiritual equation, was he says, wait a minute, let's make sure you understand. See, sin causes you to be unclean. If you want to be clean, you've got to get rid of the sin. 
It's pretty simple. That's what Torah teaches. That's what Moses said. You know, you want to be clean, get rid of the sin. So if I say, which is easier, you know, be healed or have your sins forgiven? They're the same thing, he said. Hmm, hey, new concept. You see, my sin has something to do with being clean or unclean. God has the power to make you clean because he has the power to forgive your sins. Now, the Gentile world and the world that we live in today, it's the exact opposite. With the Jews, it was they understood the concept of clean and unclean. They didn't understand the concept of being forgiven of sins. You, you've heard all about God. He can forgive your sins, but you don't know about the concept of clean and unclean. So I would say to you the way he said to them, which is easier? God, forgive me of my sins or God, make me clean. You know, we read from Psalms 51 tonight, creating me, O God, a clean heart. Forgive me of my sin. That's what it means. Make me clean, you know, all over. Wash me, Lord. Make me clean. It's the, the spiritual concepts are so that we could understand how God deals with sin. All of this symbolization has to do with the fact is we're walking around in a very sinful world and we get sin all over ourselves and we participate in sin. Some we know about, some we don't know about. How do we get past that? Well, we need a God to make us clean. We need a Redeemer. We need a Savior. We need someone who has the power and authority to make us clean. That's the work of the Messiah. It would be the Messiah who would come and do these things. And then when we see it as the priest, when we see the testimony of the leper made clean, then we'll know that the Messiah is in our midst because this is the work of the Messiah. It's also read for us, and these are key prophecies about the Messiah. In Luke chapter 7, uh, John the Baptist was near the end of his life, and he was, uh, he was arrested. I kind of identify with some of John's feelings at this point in his life. He's kind of wondering, you know, well, what have, have I done what the Lord told me to do? I went out and I did the things the Lord told me to do. Now, and I was to proclaim that this guy is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that makes us clean. And I hear some interesting things that are happening with him. And I wonder, is, is, is he really the guy? Did, did I complete what the Lord wanted me to do? He knows he's coming to the end of his life. He wants to let him know, yes, John, you did well, you did good. So here's what he says to him. He says, go back and tell John, tell him this. The blind see, the lame walk, the leper is cleansed. Tell them that the dead are raised. Tell them those things. Go back and tell them that that's what's happening. Why should that be such a convincing piece of evidence? The reason is, brethren, because these were the prophecies. You see, a physician can feel, heal you if you're blind. I mean, if you had sight to begin with and you got a little eye injury, he can come in and he can help you with the disease or the repair or whatever. But a doctor is not going to give you sight if you were born blind. But the Messiah would have the power to do that. See, the Messiah, he's like the creator. Not only can he create heaven and earth, he can create a new optic nerve. He can create a new eye. 
He has that much power. And if we see a guy who was born blind who gets sight, we need to find out who that guy's talking to because that's the work of the Messiah. The same thing with the leper. We know about the prophecy of the leper. When he shows up outside the camp and he calls for the priest and he says, I've been made clean. Go talk to that guy. Find out who it is that made him clean because that's evidence of who the Messiah is. And the lame. Sure, sure, you can, you can, some guy who injured his leg and is crippled, uh, fell from the job or whatever, he might be able to be fixed and repair his bone or joint or whatever. But a guy who's born lame, who never had bone there or tissue or, or joint or whatever, that guy gets healed. We need to talk to who that guy got healed by. That guy's got the power to make you clean, to forgive sin, to create new tissue, to do all kinds of things, to make you new again. That's got to be the work of the Messiah. And that's the encouraging word he sent back to John. He said, that's what's happening. Go tell them, tell them that you're witnesses, that you see these things happening. And John was assured uh, by these words as to what was going on. You know, uh, this, uh, this week I mentioned to you before, we're going to have Passover. There's some very interesting commandments I need to tell you about, about the Passover. It says that no uncircumcised person can come to the Passover table. And what that means by that is no one can have an uncircumcised heart. That's the instruction of Moses. Your heart has to have been rendered unto the Lord, that you're looking to the Lord. Because, see, the Passover is a feast to the Lord. It's not a feast. It's not like a, you know, a, well, it's a big, uh, big get-together. We're going to have a banquet. It's not like that. It's a feast to the Lord. It's not a feast to us. And there's rules about coming to the table of the Lord. It says that you have to come to this table clean. It says you can't have aught with your brother. You have to be at peace with all men. When you come here, if you're going to have the peace of God and be at peace with me, you have to be at peace with other men. You can't have that kind of conflict going on in your life and come before the Lord and eat the table of the Lord. You have to go through the assortment of all the things that are happening in your life and you have to see, do I have any sin or anything unclean? And we have a new concept now, anything like leaven, any leavening. Because you see, there's a diff this is the feast of unleavened bread. No puffed up bread. No puffed up men are supposed to come to this feast. You're not to have any leavening in your life. In fact, I believe it's uh, Sunday evening, is the, is the search for leaven. The batiks hametz, the search for the leaven. The, uh, there, it's an interesting little tradition. The father goes with his children, and they do this in silence. They're quiet. They carry a wooden spoon, a feather, paper sack, and a flashlight or a lamp. And the father goes along with the light, and the children have the sack and the feather and the spoon, and, and, and 
they quietly, the father and the children, they go looking through the house and all the corners and cupboards and so forth with us. They shine the light and they're looking for leaven. And if they find leaven anywhere, then they're to scoop up the leaven onto the wooden spoon with a little feather and put it all into the sack. And they're to tie the sack, bind the sack, and they're to go to the back of the house that night, and with their father, they're to cast the leaven out of their house. It's, a, it's an interesting little ceremony called the Search for Leaven the Night Before Passover. It's to teach the children the diligence that you have to go about in your life to look for sin and unclean things in your life and leaven in your home, in your life. So that it's a cert- you have to conduct a search. Now, the way the game is properly played is mother has strategically placed pieces of leaven in certain particular places. And the idea is, under the counsel of the father and his wisdom, he shines the light on every corner. You let him show the light where he wants to show the light. And when you find the leaven, you gather the leaven up and you get rid of it. It's a simple little childlike procedure, but you know what? It works for us. If you will let God, with his little light, go around and show you in all the corners of your life and point out that's the leaven I want you to get rid of, then you gather it up, get it in a little bag, and get it out of there so that you can get ready, so that you can be clean before the Lord, so that you can come into the presence of the Lord. Because when we come to this particular feast, it's the first feast. It's the one that was before the law was. This is the one that was for Jew and for Gentile. It was planned all along by God that all Gentiles would come to this. It says in the Torah, the alien and the sojourner is invited to this if they have a circumcised heart before the Lord. If they can identify with God being their Redeemer, then they can come. They will be treated as clean. They have a place at the table. Now, throughout all of church history, it is celebrated Communion. Communion comes out of the Passover. The thing that bothers me the most about this holiday and the celebration of communion is that this so-called feast of the Lord that I've traditionally grown up with in the church, my son spills more matzah and more grape juice at the Passover table than most people consume at Holy Communion. And yet they want to call that a feast. I have news for you. You Gentiles have been invited to the table. Now, back when the Lord was walking around and was doing the work of redemption, it's true, there was a Gentile woman who came up and said, Lord, would you come with me into the Gentile land? Would you cast out a demon in my daughter? Would you please come minister? And he said, I can't. My mission is to the lost sheep of Israel. And then she said a very interesting thing. Says, but even the dogs under the master's table, get to eat the scraps and the small crumbs that fall from the table. And the Lord said, I've not seen this kind of faith in Israel. That you realize just touching the edge of a garment or just eating a crumb of this bread has the power to make you clean. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, you can be healed. Well, brethren, we're past that. You're invited. You have a seat at the table. You get to eat of the abundance of the feast. 
You get to your name has been appointed to be in this place at this time to eat the feast of unleavened bread, to enjoy the Passover. And yes, I know it's a story about how Israel was born and how God passed us from death to life. But you guys are passed from death to life, too. All we were there was to be the symbol, the story, to explain it so that you'd understand. It was never set up to exclude you. It was set up to include you. It's a biblical feast. I hate to even call it a Jewish feast. It's a biblical feast. It's for all who would come to the Lord. These commandments and these teachings about clean and unclean, they do affect you. They are rules. They are proper. But the thing that I would tell you is not to be concerning yourself with uh, trying to keep yourself clean and unclean unless you're planning on going to the temple over in Jerusalem. If you're going to the temple in Jerusalem, then do this. But don't chase yourself into religious circles here, trying to make yourself too religious, trying to do this. Just get on with your life. These are rules that has to do with coming into the presence of God. Now, with regard to coming to the Passover, there's some specific things that we have to do. They're based on the same premise. Prepare yourself to come to the Passover. When time comes time for you to go to the temple, prepare yourself accordingly for that. Don't be ignorant about what the commandments are. Now you've been instructed as to you know the rules with regard to going into the, the tabernacle or going into the temple service itself proper. These are the proper instructions. They apply to everybody. They're not just Jewish commandments. But for the dominant part, they did affect the priests way more than they affected the rest of us because they had to work and serve. You know, in that place. But when it comes to the, the keeping of uh, the Passover and presenting yourself before the Lord there, you know, the instruction is repeated for you. And it says you don't try to eat this bread. Don't try to drink this cup if you have aught with your brother. For this reason, some of you are sick and dying. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. Where did you get that instruction from? Right here in Leviticus 14 and 15. That's where Paul got it from. Same command. You walk in and you defile the presence of God. Uh, you're, you're, you're kissing your life goodbye. For this reason, some are asleep and dying in our midst. The rules still apply. You cannot take unholy things in before a holy God. That's the reason why we have this book of Leviticus, to teach us about holiness. To do those things which are right and proper before the Lord. You remember at the Passover, the first thing the Lord did? Wash the disciples' feet and proclaim them to be clean. Now you can celebrate the Passover with me. I've made you clean. You know, the invitation is, is there for us, whether we realize it or not. No matter what issue is in your life, that has made you unclean, or you think, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite right for the Lord here. The invitation is made to you, and, and it's just as simple as, as going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I, I, I'm willing to be clean if you're willing to make me clean. That was how the leper got cleansed. Lord, I'm, I'm willing to be clean if you're willing to make me. And the Lord said, I'm willing, be clean. You know, he didn't say to the guy, well, well you've got to have oodles of faith. You know, well, you know, it, you know, it, 
He just said, if you want to be clean, you know, yes, I'll, I'll make you clean. It's the same thing as, Lord, you know, if you're willing, if you're willing to forgive me my sins, I, I'm, I'm willing to have my sins forgiven. Okay, I'm willing. Your sins are forgiven. It works that way, too. We have lots of wonderful pictures and examples. I call all the feasts of Israel, I call God's audiovisual aids to help us to understand the faith. You know, it's to teach us by symbol concerning these things. Make sure you're at peace with your brethren. And make sure that you're ready. Your hands are clean. You're ready to come into the presence of the Lord. And then sit down at the place appointed for you that has your name on it. And sit and celebrate the feast with the king. And uh, we have much to, uh, to rejoice in that Passover. Let's uh, have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you, Lord, again for the Sabbath. Thank you, Lord, for the instruction. And even though, Lord, there seems to be some parts within Leviticus that aren't as interesting, maybe as stories of Abraham or the patriarchs, Lord, we're reminded that it is needful instruction. And we ask, Lord, that you might enlighten us to understand what this instruction would be so that we might be able to walk uprightly and correctly and clean before you, Lord. It's our desire, just as the woman who had the issue of blood, it's our desire to come into the presence of you, to know you, to spend time with you. And Lord, we ask that you might look down into our hearts and make us clean so that we might be able to worship you and in your presence. So Lord, we thank you for the Torah portion and we thank you, Lord, for the work of Messiah to make us clean. And we thank you in his name. Amen. For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlamb.net. Thank you.